He's been in rehab for three months. And how's it going to be the first time he walks in? And sitting there, you know, in the control room in that moment, it's such a beautiful, painful moment converged at the same time of the kids are so excited to see him. He's so excited to see the kids. And then you look at, you know, you're calling the camera, get on Tori's face, get on Tori's face. And she just feels this anguish of, fuck, how am I ever going to get over this? Welcome, friends, to Exec Producer. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Every episode of Exec Producer offers a deep dive into one of your favorite shows from the point of view of both the producer who dreamt it up and the executive who championed it. Where the idea came from, the hurdles they face in selling it, and ultimately, how it made it to air and into popular culture. I've worked as an executive at four separate networks, and I've produced and overseen hundreds of hours of television. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I hope to share some of that wisdom with you. So settle in, turn it up, and enjoy. And please also remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. So with that, thank you again, and enjoy the show. I'm here today in Century City, California, actually at my old office, the A&E West Coast headquarters, and we're here to sit down with two of my favorite people. On the exec side, we have everybody's favorite, Eli Lair, head of programming for the History Network. Eli is a man who lived the East Side version of my childhood uh, and has gone on to accomplish really, really incredible things in his career. On the producer side, we have Greg Goldman of Studio Lambert. Greg's also an LA native, but not a real one because he loves Celtics. <laughs> Uh, Greg's been a producer and an executive, and he's really, really excelled at both. The show we're here to talk about is True Tory. It's a groundbreaking show that these two gentlemen were responsible for back when Eli ran Unscripted for Lifetime. What set True Tory apart was that it was done in real time. The turnaround on a typical Unscripted show is still a few months, but in this you know tabloid Instagram culture that we live in, even a few months can be enough time to make an idea turn stale. True Tory was really anything but that, and it and it showed a celebrity at her most vulnerable in a way that nothing really else has in my estimation. Each episode of True Tory was turned around in a week, which I really can't even wrap my head around. So we're going to talk about that, and we're going to discuss why other shows haven't followed this model. So with that, let me throw it to Greg Goldman. Greg, what was the light bulb for True Tory? The light bulb was Michael Kagan, who was my agent, calling me at the time and saying, hey, you know Tory Spelling? And I said, yeah, of course, I know Tory Spelling. I was obsessed with 90210 growing up. It was one of the shows I think we can all be very proud of watching. And um, I was pretty obsessed with it, like a lot of people, especially growing up in Beverly Hills and going to Beverly Hills High School. It was almost like a documentary for you, correct? Pretty much. We had Valley Parking and everything. Um, so he said, you know, she's going through some rough things right now, and she's exploring doing a, a docu-series about it um, with her producing partner, Bobby Sizemore, who had done her original Tori and Dean show at Oxygen. that uh, was very successful for several seasons. And he said, you know, she, she wants to meet with three companies, and I'd love for her to meet with you. And I said, okay, fantastic. I'm excited. I'm really into it. Uh, he called me about four days later and he said, uh, you don't need to do the meeting anymore. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, sure. She had a really great meeting and she's decided who she wants to go with. I don't know this part of the story. This is interesting. And I was crushed. 
because this was, without knowing anything more about it, it was just, it was always a dream of mine to work with Tori. And you had your 90210 poster you needed to get signed. I needed to get it signed. I had everyone, everyone except for, except for hers. So um, I told Kagan, I don't care what you have to do. You have to get me this meeting. If she doesn't want to go with me at the end of the day, that's totally fine. But you have to deliver this meeting. So he gets me the meeting at ICM. I go in there and I'm like, okay, I've got, you know, it's Eminem, one shot time. I got to do what I can do. And I went in there and the first thing I did was listen. You know, you want to listen, like, what is their idea? What do they want to do? And for Tori Spelling, and and I'll say this, you know, she doesn't get the credit she deserves. I'm going to say something that might be a little controversial. Feel free to disagree with me. She is one of the greatest TV entertainers of all time. And let me tell you what I mean by that. For anyone who grew up during the 80s, early 90s, 90210 was the biggest show. Like, that's what you wanted your life to be like. And if you looked at the cast at that time and everyone who was really hot on it, Tori Spelling would be the last one that you looked at in that group and said, like, oh, she's going to have the most longevity. She was like, no way. Afterthought, this is it for her. And she's like a cat with nine lives. She's been incredibly smart. And she's inherited a lot from her dad in terms of storytelling and, and what she did with Tori and Dean on Oxygen. I mean, she was way ahead of her time and, you know, doing the celebrity doc thing. Um, it's a very different type of show that, than True Tori, obviously. But she's been very entrepreneurial and she's got a great sense of who she is and what her brand is and what an audience wants to see. So when I sat down with her and I listened to her and her story and, and, and talked to Bobby and what they wanted to do, they wanted to do something that was really honest and authentic. At the same time, uh, the tabloids were an issue. And they talked about, you know, specifically Tori always having her whole story told by the tabloids and them getting it wrong. And the story of her marriage falling apart was going to be no different unless she took control of it. Um, but at the same time, it was still set up as this kind of uh, regular docu-series. And we all talked in that meeting about, well, we've got to flip the script on this. We've got to change it. We have to give it an urgency and we have to beat the tabloids and we have to hide everything from the tabloids. And that makes the show special beyond everything else that you want to do with it. Um, And I talked about things in terms of, I I think as a producer, uh, everyone gets pigeonholed in what you do or what you've done. I had done a lot of big broadcast stuff before that. I hadn't, and I'd done some docu-series, but I hadn't done anything that was really big or, or, or you know, well-known or celebrated. And I think it's unfair to take people and lop them into that. You, you, I think you know what you know and you know how to tell a story. And for me, um, being married with kids... I had thought a lot about affairs and how they destroy relationships and, and what do you do? What do you do? What's the anatomy of an affair when you, when you're married with kids, it's very easy to say, Oh, you're dating or, Oh, you're married and you don't have kids. And one of you cheats like, okay, you get out, you know, no big Mm -hmm. deal. But once you throw kids in the equation, it's very, very difficult. And I thought that this was something, uh, a story that deserved to be told. And then when you're injecting with steroids of it's a very public story, um, it becomes all that much more relevant. And how do you deal with that? So we, you know, she ended up and Bobby ended up deciding to go with me and swayed them in the other direction. Thank you to Michael Kagan for insisting that we do the meeting. And, 
And, um, you know, and then I actually had to go and sell it. We're the company that knows how to do this better than anybody else. And I'm going to give it the attention. You know, you go and you deal with the other company. You're never going to see half the staff again after they sell it. Like, I'm going to be with this hand-holding you every step of the way because it's, it's going to be a beast. And it was. And, um, yeah, we can, we can talk about that other company off mic. <laughs> if you feel more comfortable. I am going to need to know who it was. Just... Um, okay, so Tori, um, it was obviously, you know, it was clearly initially her light bulb. Yes. Which is great. Well, said, it was, I think Bobby, who went to her, they had the relationship from doing the other show. And when all of this was breaking and happening, I think he reached out to her and said, hey, I know this is a little crazy. Would you ever entertain doing something? And they started talking about it. And then the, the genesis you know, took form. Right, right. It's, it's very easy to read a tabloid and think, oh, you know, this would make a great show. It's a totally different thing to obviously make that show a reality, right? And so absolutely, a lot of these... absolutely. I mean, after the success of True Tory, and to this day, I, I get a call at least once every two weeks from a network saying, "Hey, what's your next True Tory? We want to do something real time. Hey, can you meet with the celebrity? Hey, what do you think?" And I've turned all of those down in terms of doing a real time show. Um, because they don't require it. It's not, you're not doing it just for the sake of doing it. There has to be a reason why you're doing it. Um, you know, th there's somebody, you know, that I've, I won't say who it is or what it is, but there's someone I approached very recently that has something that, you know, if they go and they tell their story, it will blow up and implode and it will become very much a real time event that you have to tell in that way. But you can't, there's no reason for, for, for doing that unless it, you know, that makes sense story wise. Sure. And, and obviously it goes without saying having the celebrities buy in, right? I mean, we've all tried to do these shows and I'm sure everyone, you know, when you're trying to convince a subject to do it, you've already pretty much lost the battle. And that's clearly not the case here with Tori. She was, you know, she had bought in. Yeah. So, you know, but had she 100% envisioned this show like a typical thing? You know, I'm going to go into the room. I'm going to sell something. They'll probably order a pilot or a presentation or da da da. And then we'll get on the air, and hopefully six months after the fact, these episodes will air, right? Right, right. That's true. And 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 we all said from jump, like, this has got to be, we're going right into series, and it's going to be quick turnaround, or we're not going to do it. Because we don't want to be in that scenario. You're just not going to tell the innermost, darkest secrets in her life for a pilot that probably isn't going to go. It needed it needed to happen. Well, well and Eli, maybe, maybe jumping ahead a little bit here, but had you heard that pitch... Had you heard the, you know, Tori and Dean and this is the, you know, the next iteration of their Oxygen show and obviously a lot of things are happening in their relationship. Do you think you would have entertained that or or really was it the real time thing that? No, that you the real the time was was the magic bullet for a variety of reasons. Number one, it just made it feel different and had the potential to distinguish it in the marketplace. And then more practically we had a hole in our schedule in April, which we had almost given up on filling. Because one of the things when I got to Lifetime, I had started in the late summer of the previous year, we had had all of these holes to fill very quickly. And we were just sort of plugging these leaks, but we could never find anything that could land in this April time slot. And we had the real estate and it was just fortuitous that this show walked in the door in February. And as opposed to every other reality pitch in existence, it was designed to be turned around within two months. So that sort of was the made it that much more appealing for us. Right, right. 
Okay, so so you get this pitch. Do you immediately run out of the room and say, you know, to your bosses, Eureka, I have it, we found it? I mean, what was sort of your approach after after hearing it? Because it's a big buy-in, right? I mean, I had some trepidation based on the oxygen shows, which were great for what they were. It was just they weren't shows that I was interested in doing. And I had been at Bravo while they were on Oxygen. So I had seen them and they had always done well for Oxygen. But they were a very specific kind of constructed reality that even in 2014 didn't feel like it was there was a market for it um, at that point. So I'm trying to, I mean, my response was, holy shit, if she's really willing to take the trust fall, because I was an avid Us Weekly reader and I had been following the story in the tabloids and it was, it was gripping just as an observer, this mother of four kids who had publicly sort of banked on her marriage and presented it as this, this ideal partnership, all of a sudden her life was imploding in the tabloids. And that was, it was hard not to be at least somewhat fascinated by it. So the idea that, wow, she's really willing to let cameras in at this incredibly volatile moment in her life. And there's the potential to, to, turn it around and almost beat the tabloids to tell the story on our air. I immediately responded to that. There were definitely hesitations about, wow, is, does Tori Spelling have another show in her? Is there a hangover for the audience from the Tori and Dean shows? But, but you know, Greg's passion for it, the, the really exciting sort of production model, those things immediately overcame whatever hesitations I had. But it was definitely a challenge to sell it internally because other people had all of those same hesitations I just articulated. Sure. It doesn't follow the normal process, right? Was that April Hole ultimately, you know, enough gasoline to, to get you to where you well, need to be? You've worked at these channels. They're not places that are built to hear pitches in, in February and have shows on the air eight weeks later. You're right. So everything, it's the process that normally takes nine months, if you're lucky, compressed into less than nine weeks. So there were, it definitely placed a strain on the system, but I think in some ways that actually led to, to interesting approaches to everything. And certainly from the programming side, you know, for Mary and I, it was just Mary Donahue was our Greg and my partner in all of this it was incredibly exciting because you, you're used to working at a very specific pace. And this was just a complete, you know, sprint from start to finish. I mean, the timeline, we can talk about it. I think, Greg, you probably pitched it to me in mid-February. I think we started making deals in early March and the show started production in late March and was on the air in mid-April. Something like right. that. So, I mean, that is, I've, I've previously or subsequently never worked at anything like that pace, but that was really exciting and terrifying simultaneously. So did any other channels respond the way that Eli and Lifetime did, or, or was this your only offer? Um, everyone received the pitch really well. The pitch was emotionally gripping. I mean, Tori came in the room and she told her story, and the story 
excuse my French, was fucking amazing and riveting. And you could hear, I mean, it took her probably 25 minutes to tell the story of how the affair happened and the emotional effect it had on her. And I listened to it at the end. We pitched it probably eight places. I was there, obviously, in all eight pitches, and they were all the same. And I heard that story by, you know, by, you know, the end of it probably 12 times in a row. And for me, I mean, you could hear a pin drop in, in, in you know, in her telling her story. And you, I, I had never experienced a celebrity that would be that candid and open about, you know, all of the horrible things happening in their lives, especially in this Instagram, Facebook culture of everything is fantastic and look how amazing my life is and how amazing my, my kids and spouses and all these things. It was like so refreshing and compelling to have somebody that was going to tell the story. So to loop back to the question, like everybody after the pitch was like, would call me and was like, that was one of the most amazing things I've ever heard in my entire life. Like, I don't know if we're going to do the show, but know that that was amazing. And we so appreciate you bringing it in and Tori opening up and the whole thing. So there were a lot of reasons and Eli alluded to a lot of them of why not to do the show. Um, the biggest hurdle was, um, was Tori had had this show on oxygen for so many seasons. It was such a successful show. She's branded as an oxygen person. And if you're not doing it at oxygen, we really don't feel like you can do it, which is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Like, just give that answer. I don't love the show, but I feel that, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong here, um, and, and this is what I think makes Eli such a, and, and yourself, cause I've seen you do the same thing. The both of you such fantastic buyers is that you go with your own internal, internal compass and your gut. You're not referring to research. You're not running around, you know, oh, we've studied our core viewership and they say they want to do this, this, and this. If everyone knew about the research and it was so obvious you know, why are most shows failures? They're failures because you can't predict. You can't quantify those types of things. You have to go with your gut. And most people don't do it. They, they allow research to happen. So I, uh, I won't talk about who this network exec is, but there was a network exec that actually um, tested the idea. She had a focus group that she was running anyway. And she um, put it into the testing and came back and said, you know, well, I tested the idea and don't feel that people want to see this show right now. And I just thought that was the most bizarre thing I'd ever, you know, heard of, you know, in my entire life. Um, I mean, look, we looked at the ratings trajectory for the oxygen show and like many shows, it started up here. And then over the course of the four or five seasons ended 60% below that. So, I think you'd be irresponsible if you didn't take that into account. But, you know, the other thing the show had going for it, and it was very, it was, it was what was front of mind for me at the moment Greg brought it in. You know, it had the ability to do what you're always trying to do with shows is make news and get people to notice. And, you know, I walked out of the meeting saying, wow, if we greenlight that show, we can have a show on the cover of Us Weekly the week it premieres. And how many pitches can you walk out of where you know that's almost a guarantee? And lo and behold, I still have the stupid cover probably somewhere <laughs> in my office. But that she, Tori, was able, the show, the story had that kind of momentum and was able to achieve that. And this is also a time where it's weird to say, because it was only four years ago, but Us Weekly was that much more sort of central to pop culture. Sure. And, you know, 
had a big role in whatever the conversation was. So that that also played a factor in our decision here. Sure. I mean, it's a multi-million dollar media buy that that you that you didn't have exactly, to buy. Exactly, that that the show was almost guaranteed to deliver. And we also had the advantage at Lifetime as opposed to let's say E where Tori had had a relationship with the channel over the years in the movie division. So it wasn't as if she was completely foreign to our viewership. So that that helped at least make the case that she was a piece of talent that that could work on the channel. Sure. Yeah. But there, so the other hurdles were, you know, um, and depending on how you want to look at them, I mean, Eli, I think lo- you looked at it the right way, which is this is all exciting, but a lot of other buyers were terrified that the real time nature of it, um, that if you think about that, that, you know, we had a we had a grid laid out of this is what eight episodes is going to look like. Um, but you had to commit to doing everything chronologically. We weren't going to, you know, mess things around with the order. Um, we also, um, it wasn't going to be a perfect science in terms of getting clearances. So for example, when we shot with, uh, first time we shot with Dean, uh, in rehab, one of the doctors, uh, last minute refused to go, you know, he said, you can film what's going on, but you have to blur me. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not giving my consent. Um, and it was that kind of a show. Blocking wasn't going to be perfect. Um, you had to commit to all these things that were going to make it, I think, you know, so much more exciting. A lot of other buyers were just terrified by that and say, whoa, wait, we have the standard way we do it. We always, it's a new show. We always get six cuts and yada, yada, yada. And this was the thing of like, yeah, you're going to get in, you're going to get one quick turnaround notes pass that we can address in two days and then we're locking. And you got to get on board with that. And I think at the end of the day, um, all of those things, um, and, 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 you know, breaking the fourth wall, not planning to do it, but we knew that there were going to be moments where this show went off the rails and we were going to keep shooting the whole way. And I can't tell you, you know, on how many other shows to this day, people are like, Oh, can you, can you do that in the show? Can you do that? The, you know, we break the wall and I'm like, it's got a call for it. Like, I'm not going to just write it in. It's not that kind of show where it doesn't make sense. Like this, she's worried her husband might kill herself. Like, and she needs to talk to somebody or, you know, when we found out in the middle of shooting that he was having suicidal thoughts for the first time and we had to talk about it because the show might be shut down in that moment, you know, um, there were moments that called for it. Um, but I've heard stories of other producers that got the call of like, oh yeah, do the fourth wall moments and actually having showrunners yell out fourth wall moment and crash into a scene. I mean... I've heard that story. I'm like, that's amazing. That's amazing. Like, people were doing that. No, I remember getting the call from you. It was a Friday evening when Dean had revealed in therapy that he had had this suicidal moment. We had to shut down the production. At that point, you're not thinking how it's going to play on camera. Exactly. But the, and but- I think to again to Eli and Mary and Sternbach and everybody, you know, at AETN. Um, they weren't freaked out. A lot of other networks are so responsive. Like things start to go a certain way and they're very quick to like, well, we got to get out. We got to pull out. This is, this could be bad for everyone. We could get fired. And they were looking at it as like, let's be responsible. Let's, you know, let's make sure we have all of our ducks in a row and that we're doing the right thing. And that was important to me as a producer. Like as soon as that thing happened, where, where Dean talked about kicking out the window and he could end it all right there and jump out of it. Um, my first thought wasn't 
oh my God, the show's going to get shut down. It was, I want to make sure he's okay right now, like right in this moment. Um, and he's not going to go there. And then obviously the, the show was right after that of like, okay, are we going to keep it going? But always let's do the responsible thing. And it was so exciting uh, to make this show because of everything that was happening and everybody. And, you know, we talked a little bit about this before we started the we making this show um, was amazing. You know, amazing support from the network. Um, amazing that both Tori and Dean opened up and told 98% of their story. Don't ask me what the 2% that they wouldn't tell is. I'm never going to tell. But um, but that they were that open and 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 honest about sharing all of those moments about Dean and his addiction and mental illness and, uh, you know, his relationship with sex and both of their relationships with their parents and all the things that formed who they were. It was just so compelling and riveting. And, and as a producer, it's every producer's fantasy to get that kind of an access, access and have people that feel that comfortable and every day i mean our schedule was crazy we had a we had a you know typical 12-hour production day and then after the day would finish um it would be quickly downloading the network on what's happening and where we're going to go then and figuring out okay what are we going to do tomorrow and then really sitting down with tori for hours talking to her and you getting inside her head and okay and making sure she's comfortable with everything and talking about where where we're going to go next and it was so free to not have to sit there and worry oh is that we're going to like the storyline and it was like we had no regard for thinking about what's going to be good tv or not it was all about hey how do we how do we keep the story true while at the same time keep it entertaining and not make it a train wreck car crash. How do you actually care about these people? Why are you invested? Um, because it was a it was very much a broken love story. And, and Tori, who really knows her fan base, you know, it, it, it's not about just watching this couple in crisis and falling apart. I think that's a very simplistic way to look at the, look at the show. It's really about this couple that's going through this very universally relatable thing of one of them cheated. Usually when that happens in a marriage, it's a very private thing. They handle it behind closed doors. Maybe they tell their best friend. That's it. It never goes unless they get a divorce. It never never spreads big. And this happens in, you know, a lot more marriages than people want to admit that it happens in. Um, so to tell it... Um, and to tell it as a love story and to tell it as how do you keep a family together and can you keep it together um, was just incredibly compelling. And, and honestly not knowing because Tori didn't know and Dean didn't know where it was going to go. Um, it's amazing. I mean, what do you think really was driving her and, and driving them every day to, you know, put their pants back on and get up and, and do this again? Because... I think a lot of people would have just said, F it, I'm done, yeah, I'm out. That's a great question. Uh, you know, they're both incredibly complex people. So it's, there's, I'll try to keep it brief. But um, with Tori, um, and this became a major theme in season one, it was very much about finding her voice, which is true. And for whatever reason, um, ironically, she felt a lot more safe um, having a voice with producers there and with a the crew there. 
um, than she did not having him there. She's, she's, you know, she's been in front of the cameras her entire life and there's a type of ownership she has on camera that she doesn't have in her real life. So I think that was a big thing for her. For Dean, it was very much about like, hey, um, I want to work on this marriage any way possible. And I, and I do want to shine a light on addiction and on mental illness um, because it's something that's not, it's not talked about. Um, it's not talked about, certainly not in the celebrity realm. But I, I will say what I found so fascinating about the show is Tori, and I hate to keep referencing the Oxygen show, but in all of her previous TV incarnations, she is, as Greg pointed out earlier, she's Aaron Spelling's daughter and she has some of that DNA. And she it always felt like she was presenting something very specific that she wanted to share with the world. And what was so amazing um, about season one of True Tory and why I think, at least for me, it was so riveting is you really watched her try and do that but lose control of the narrative because of the events of her life were so intense. She really wasn't able to control them or put on a public face. And I do think it's rare in this world to see a celebrity who isn't who is out of control to that degree about what they're presenting. And that makes, you know, almost every other celebrity reality show that comes to mind for me, with maybe the exception of like Breaking Bonaducci. I always feel as a viewer that the celebrity is giving me what they want to give me and entirely, you know, it's a, it's a version of them, but not necessarily the authentic one. And I do think with this show, there were many moments where you felt like you're getting the rawest Tory spelling imaginable, whether she wants to give that to you or not, because events went in directions that I don't think any of us could have predicted. And I think that is really compelling. And if I'm honest, part of what, while I thought season two was very good, part of what was missing for me about it was it did feel like Tori was much, was back to having much more of her producer hat on and trying to tell a very specific story that she thought her audience wanted to hear as opposed to letting Greg document events as they authentically played out. It's interesting, right? I mean, in the sense that it's the challenge of any show. You know, once a cast member has seen themselves on that show, they behave differently. And, you know, even someone like Tori Spelling, who's been on a hundred shows and who's been in the entertainment industry, you know, was not immune to that. So it's, you know, it's, it's interesting that you brought up Breaking Bonaducci, which I believe also only went two seasons. You know, it punched above its weight for, for all the reasons that you mentioned here, but it also burned really fast. You know, why do you think, I mean, why do you think? Do you think it's because she started to produce herself? Do you think it's because her, her foot was on the gas so much out of the gate that she just couldn't sustain. I think it speaks to what Greg was saying earlier. The real-time model only appeals to me and only feels like it makes sense in very specific circumstances. And she had – there was a very specific moment in her life where that that production model worked unbelievably and created this bizarre feedback loop 
with the tabloid press and with the audience that I've never seen before. And once that moment passed, um, I think the show lacked some of the urgency that made season one so great. Yeah, I think that's completely right. I mean, all the emotional stakes were really gone after season one. It was it was clear, okay, they made it through the woods, they figured it out, you know, as Dr. Wexler said. And and I thought this was a really interesting through line and, and a little, you know, tip for anybody, you know, dealing with the aftermath of, of an affair, her whole, you know, rationale for how how do you how do you heal how do you solve this and she said she set this up right from the beginning with both of them she said it sounds very easy but it's the most difficult thing you'll ever have to do tori every time you think about the affair and and it bothers you you have to vocalize it to dean and dean you have to just sit there and listen and empathize don't defend yourself don't get defensive don't and it becomes this thing where if you can do that, eventually it will run its course and you'll be able to heal this relationship. But what happens with most couples, they, it sounds very easy right here, right now in this room. And then you leave and in practice on time number 14, the husband or wife or whoever cheated can't hear it anymore. And hey, this was one moment in time. I messed up. I've said I'm sorry a million times. I can't take it anymore. I'm not Hitler. We need to, and I can't deal with this anymore and I'm out. And, and that's what destroys the relationship. And to his credit, you know, he hung in there and it wasn't easy and it wasn't pretty, but, but they healed it. So going into season two, okay, they'd already really healed the relationship. We kind of played it up a little bit. Okay, is it still in question? And then it became, okay, how do we get into the psyche of Tori and all of her issues of hoarding and uh, the first marriage to Charlie where she left him and cheated with Dean and Dean cheated on his wife. Like how to, okay, can she heal things with Charlie? Can she meet up with Dean's ex-wife for the first time? And then they get together. So it was a lot of loud, promotable moments. Every episode had that, oh, I got to stay and I got to watch this. And this is going to be really interesting. Um, and it was, but it wasn't, it didn't have the magic of season one because emotionally she wasn't in the same state. But I understand, right? She, it sounds like she, came out of the gate, you know, willing to do anything. And, and you, as a producer, you've got this abundance of riches that you typically, you know, you, you don't have. Typically, you, you have to do some measure of prodding, you know, this, that, the other. This one, it almost sounds like the opposite, that you, as a producer, had, had a different set of responsibilities here. Because I think that this show simultaneously, and I was a huge fan of it, I mean, I couldn't look away, but then afterwards there was this little pang sometimes, you know, oh God, I, I can't believe I just watched that. Like, was I supposed to see that? We were very conscious of that from jump and, and I'm not the type of producer that just does a show to do a show and this is great and we're going to make money for the company. And if we run people over, that's their responsibility and they'll deal with it later. At the end of every shoot day, I was talking to Tori for hours, you know, about what happened that day. Are we okay? Where are we going from here? And making sure, you know, not only that she felt comfortable, that, but that she was good with everything that was happening. And, and we, we you know, I'm a dad. Um, that's the most important thing for me personally that I do is being a dad. And, and for her, I know it's being a, a good mom. Um, and we made that very much, you know, part of the story. And how do you navigate that? And how do you... Um, 
Um, how do you be responsible? So everything, I mean, there was only probably one or two times during filming where afterwards she said, can you not, can we not put that in the cut? Um, and by the way, those weren't even things that were, you know, um, especially compelling things. Those were just things that, um, she had a personal, you know, view on it and, and didn't want to say something about somebody else or whatever it was. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, Tori was incredibly proud of the show and proud of the message of the show and about, you know, how do you overcome an affair? How do you put family first? How do you do all these things? That was very much front and center. And she, as this was all unfolding, she had to go to school every day and drop off and pick up and interact with all those moms who were watching the show feverishly as it was happening. And it actually strengthened her relationship with all of those moms and all of them. They felt like, oh, we can talk about this. We don't have to gossip behind her back and feel awkward and whatever. It's like, oh, she's talking about it. So we can in turn talk, talk about it. And, and she actually became for the first time in a long time, she had a really close knit, you know, mom, uh, friend group at school that she hadn't had previously because of the show. So, you know, in that way, there are a lot of benefits to it. And I think, you know, the show for forcing her to go to therapy, so regularly, I think a lot of people they go to they go to couples therapy. It's hard. It's emotional. It's exhausting, um, and most people give up on it. The show forced her to have to keep going, uh, which ended up you know being really good for both of them individually and being great for them as a couple. Right. So you know we've danced around this for a little bit with the real time and why only certain shows work for real time, um, and I'm. I'm sure you heard a number of pitches and you haven't done any, you know, outside of this one. And Greg, you've only done one other and the people's couch, which is kind of a different real time experiment. But again, in this immediate, you know, it's on Instagram, social media, you know, I'm reading about it in the tabloids kind of world, this new cycle that this, you know, with half life that just, that gives you whiplash, you know, why haven't more shows tried? You either have to go one of two directions you can do something that is so heavily constructed that it's almost like a scripted show and you know exactly the scenes you're getting in a given production window that'll allow you to cut a docu on that schedule or you need someone who's and greg can speak to this better than i can whose life circumstances are so complex and dramatic that there's an hour of really interesting content that you can do on that kind of edit schedule. And I have to tell you, look, as I said, this was a terrifying show to do. It ultimately turned out to be one of, if not the most satisfying and sort of feels weird to talk about a show that was about so much pain in Tori's life, but a really creatively fulfilling show because we, we, in the same way Tori took a trust fall, I feel like I gambled on Greg and his ability to deliver a show, but I remember going to the all three offices to watch down the rough cut of the first episode. And Mary Donahue had come out here and she went with me. And you know what it's like to watch a rough cut of a new show, let alone one that's been in edit for like six days. And it that is a truly terrifying moment. But I remember walking... I remember when the lights came up thinking, holy shit, he delivered. It's very rare for a show to so thoroughly surpass your expectations. 
and the fact that Greg and the all three team and Noah and everyone you had in post was able to do that was unbelievably satisfying. And then it just kept getting better and deeper and more bizarre. So, so you took the trust fall with Greg and, and it paid off. And I, I presume you guys already knew each other, but had you worked on a show previously? Nope. No. But it was, and I will, look, Greg was more enmeshed in this show. I've never worked with a principal at a production company that was so, so involved from the first minute through the last minute, every single detail. I feel like Tori took over your life. I don't know who was doing Undercover Boss <laughs> because it <laughs> felt like it was a four-month period where she – it's like you had a second marriage. That's how much time and energy. Pretty much. I definitely saw a lot more of, of, of Tori than, than my own wife. Um, I felt this incredible pressure to deliver. Like there was no – I sat in your office and I said, we're going to do this. And you took a leap of faith on it. And there was no way I was going to fail. There was no way I was going to let you down. There was no way I was going to, you know, make you look bad to the rest of, you know, the group. So I had to do what I had to do. And um, and I loved it. I loved every second of it. I mean, I mean, it, it, it's hard as you grow more and more throughout your career. Naturally, you become more and more distanced from actually making the shows, which I hate. The only reason I'm in this business is because it's creative and I love it and I love to, you know, roll my sleeves up and actually get out there and produce. Um, and I've never forgotten that. So, you know, as, as a producer and as a company, uh, we don't spread ourselves too thin, uh, not to turn this into Studio Lambert commercial. Um, but we're really, really involved in everything that that we do. And, and you know, as someone who used to be an executive at ABC and sit on the other side of it. And to your point, there's nothing worse than you get that first cut and that feeling of, you know, we've been talking about this for months and how this isn't anything that we talked about. And, and where's everything that's important to us as a network? Where's the core messaging of the show? It's all gone and fragmented. And, and that's a byproduct of most companies go, they sell a show, they high five each other, and then they turn it over to another team um, that's not privy to anything that's going on. And they're making this show in a silo. Um, and to make as much money as possible, you're hiring people that aren't really fantastic. And then you deliver that rough cut that looks like a hot steaming pile of crap. And then everyone's upset. And then the network's calling the principal of the company and yelling at the, we never do that. We're never going to be in the position to do that. Um, because I know what that feels like. And I'd rather, you know, have ownership over all of the shows we do and always deliver something that's exactly what the network expected and try to over deliver on what we were promising in the first place. Yeah, there was not a minute in those three months where I spoke to you where you weren't either with Tori in Encino or in the edit. You know, it was your show. You were there. Oh, it, was a, it was a team effort. I mean, Bobby did a great job too. And, and Noah was fantastic in post and Carl Kimbrough, shout out to Carl, who was amazing Carl and really incredible. shaping, you know, this show and post. And, you know, he's one of the best people I've ever worked with and was fantastic. I mean, every single editor that was on this show was handpicked because we had to deliver it so fast and there was no, you know, there was no way we were going to fail on it. So when you have that much attention to detail and everything and you're thinking in your head as you're shooting stuff, what kind of music is going to go behind this <clears throat> and how am I going to edit this? I mean, some of my favorite moments in the show, 
when Dean comes home for the first time, he's been in rehab for three months long before we started shooting. He's, he's been there. He hasn't spent any, you know, meaningful time with his kids. He hasn't stepped foot in his home. And how's it going to be the first time he walks in? And sitting there, you know, in the control room in that moment, it's such a beautiful, painful moment converged at the same time of the kids are so excited to see him. He's so excited to see the kids. And then you look at, you know, you're calling the camera, get on Tori's face, get on Tori's face. And she just feels this anguish of, fuck, how am I ever going to get over this? And you're just, and, and I'm thinking in my, in my head as this is happening, I'm like, okay, you know, how are we going to cut this? And, and, and because we, you know, we already had a boatload of music input in the system and I'm already, you know, that night I'm listening to tracks, figuring out, okay, what's the perfect thing that, that, that goes with the tone of this moment. And that's the way we made the entire show. And it was honestly, it was, it was so much fun, <clears throat> so much fun making it. And I, you know, I, I miss it. It's not, yeah. you know, I look at the shows we're making now and they're good. They're great shows. There's nothing wrong with them. They're fantastic. But I, you know, um, I love the convergence of those two emotions happening at the same time. And we got a lot of that in that show of, of, of hope and redemption uh, mixed with pain and agony at the same time. Um, that was amazing. I mean, that, that one of the best scenes and I'm not patting myself on the back, but that I've ever seen on television was when Tori was in the hospital with my horrible, horrible migraines and she was rebound headaches and was finally off the medication, the pain meds that she was on and came home. And she's sitting in bed uh, with Liam and Stella, um, her two kids, and they're looking at a photo album together. Um, and she's realizing all of these memories that we've created, they're all lies. And I don't know that I can trust anything that's ever been in our relationship. Um, and because she had just come out of a, for anyone who's ever been sick, you have these moments of really intense clarity when you're not sick anymore. Um, and I get migraines too. And when you get a migraine, the pain is so intense. It doesn't matter how great your life is when you don't have a migraine. When you have a full blown migraine, you wish you were dead. You just want it to, the pain so bad you want it to stop. So for her not to be in pain anymore, that physical pain, but to be in that kind of emotional pain. And we're watching this unfold and she's crying and the kids are kids and they're oblivious and they're looking at the photos and I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, we gotta, we gotta get Dean up here and we go down and we talk to him. We're like, I don't know what's going on with Tori. You might want to go up in there and check in on her. He goes up and we pull the kids out and they oh have, God, this is that fight, the most intense fight. They're both crying they're both incredibly vulnerable. She's found her voice at this moment and is like, what, you know, how are you going to repair this? What are you going to do? What are you prepared to do? And he's crying and screaming back at her. I'm going to love you. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get you back. I'm going to do whatever it takes to fix this. And the photos of, from their entire life are just strewn. He takes them and throws them off the bed. And this conversation happens over two hours. It went from day to night. Everybody in the control room, nobody said a word. 
you know, other than like, make sure, you know, we got extra bricks ready to go. Cause this, you know, we're just going, 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 and this is happening, happening, happening. And at the very end of the whole thing, they kiss each other for the first time since this whole thing happened. And you're like, again, you're like, this is the most raw thing I've ever seen. And so emotional yet it ends with hope. And you're just like, Oh my God, this is, this is incredible. Like, I can't believe what we just saw here. And I always remember that scene because it coincided with a series of articles that Jezebel wrote. Because there was a <laughs> there was a certain percentage of the audience that I guess was so cynical or overly critical of unscripted TV that there was a percentage of them that thought the show had to be constructed and contrived and the entire affair was... Manufactured, manufactured because Tori had been out of the news and she wanted to, you know, get back into it. And I, it was really deeply baffling to me because I watched the show and it was so apparent to me <laughs> that this was raw and real and so easily distinguishable from the unscripted TV that is entirely constructed and I remember watching that scene specifically and seeing much longer cuts of it that I think we included in our very special episode eight right. that was the cutting room floor stuff and thinking, how the fuck can you watch this and think this is Tori acting? I mean, yeah, I I don't have a point other than it was it was sort of sad to me that people are so cynical about these shows at this point and their default is that they're they're fake that when you actually give them something that is as real as real can be it's still hard for them to accept that it is yes there's there's a lot of jaded people out there so yeah so one thing i'm picking up on here is that you clearly miss the content of the show you know for all the reasons that we've talked about you know it clearly represents a very special time for for both of you but if I can project, it's one thing I'm sensing is that you guys also missed the relationship of working with one another because it clearly was so strong. Um, and, you know, Greg, I would have to imagine it's maybe not that strong for you with every network that you work with. And Eli, it's probably not that strong with every producer that you work with. And, you know, one of the reasons I even launched into doing this project was to examine this exact fact, right? For a show to work, this level of commitment and this level of trust has to be there, but it's just not the case. I mean, why do you think that is? You know, do you see it being turned around? Because I think if you went down the laundry list of every iconic great show, you would have stories similar to the two of yours. I took a trust, a trust fall with someone I had never met before. You know, we had this slot open in, in two months and we just went for it because we believed in it so much, but we're going to be here every step of the way. And I wasn't going to let him down. I mean, just all these incredible, incredible sentiments um, that are just not the norm, you know, in this presentation to pilot to focus test sort of world that we live in. And I'm sorry that I'm rambling, but Greg, do you see this problem correcting itself? Do you think it's as systemic as I do? I mean, what are your um, thoughts on that? How do we correct it? It's a huge problem. And, and I think it goes down to, you know, who's who are at these networks. I mean, there's certain networks that are encouraged to win, to take chances. Um, we, I think we talked about this a little earlier before we started. But um, 
as a network executive or as a producer, your number one job should be to create hit shows, right? It's all about you want to create buzz, you want to create momentum, you want people talking about your network and those shows. Most network executives operate out of fear. And I just hope I don't get fired. And the way you don't get fired is you, everything is by committee. Okay, we got to have everybody weigh in on this. We got to hide behind our research. I've been in pitches where, I won't say who, but um, with people that run networks where in the middle of the pitch, they'll stop it and they'll say, oh my God, I love this. It's really, really interesting. Just so you know, um, our research says that our audience doesn't like blank. So we could never do something like this, but I you know, appreciate you bringing it in or whatever. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, your research says that, I mean, are you, are you kidding me? Like, look at every single hit show that's ever been on the air. They all broke the mold. They didn't exist before. And all of a sudden they came out of nowhere. And whether it's Survivor or whether it's, uh, you know, The Bachelor or Dancing with, you know, I was at ABC when we did Dancing with the Stars and everyone said, you, you guys just bought your water world. This is a laughing stock. This is never going to work. And, you know, it's still on the air all these seasons later. Um, you know, not to mention uh, everything in, in talk that's different and new and innovative. I think most people are afraid of t- they're not built for a, they're not saying okay I want to have a big win they're just thinking well I just don't want to get fired and it's frustrating as a producer to be in a lot of those situations where to be quite honest I have to have a diversified portfolio of stuff that I take out to the market some of which is the stuff that's already on the air um, that people are you know looking for in their in, the, in their mandates. Um, that I know has a greater chance of selling. But those shows, quite honestly, aren't shows that I'm the most excited about. I'm most excited about the shows on the completely other end of the spectrum that are going to break the mold, that have never been done, that are going to be super challenging to produce, that nobody knows if you can actually pull this off. But those are the shows, by the way, that people want to watch. I feel like if you're a reality fan, you crave the authenticity. You crave you know, what's happening immediately in that moment. People love, part of what people love about Big Brother is that they're not messing around with it constantly. It is what it is. You're seeing it all out there for, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, the awkward moments, everything. And people love that that rush. If they wanted to just watch a scripted show, they'd watch a scripted show with the most talented actors and writers around. When you're making a reality show, and by and large, you're working with people, you know, haven't been on camera before, um, you have to play into real situations. And the more we're, we're forcing people to do things they don't normally do and hire, ah, there's no one really attractive enough at this company. Can we put in three people that don't really work there or whatever it is? You know, all those things strip away at what you're trying to do and make more and more of an inauthentic thing. Yeah, no, no. But I think that was part of the magic of the show, at least from the network side, was we really couldn't overthink it. And you can't overnote something when it's going to air in three days and you're watching the cut. You have to respond on a pretty visceral level. Is this compelling to me? Does it make me feel something? If yes, keep going. You know, and that was um, that was a unique construct for the show. And I think part of why Greg and I, why I love Greg so much was there was also something, you know, 
this show, as opposed to most shows you commission where perhaps you're heavily involved in development and then it gets handed off to production and then someone goes off and shoots it for three months and then you start really engaging with it again in post. This, all of that was happening at once here. And we probably spoke every day, multiple times a day for two and a half, three months. And that is a, it's, it was a rhythm that I've never experienced otherwise. And the fact that the show was so satisfying creatively was just. So is that part of it too? It's not sustainable for you to have multiple conversations with however many producers you're on production with that, you know, any given moment. I mean, this kind of show specifically is so labor intensive. I mean, the amount of time Mary Donahue and I spent on it, I think, exceeds almost any other show I've worked on in a great way. I loved every minute of it because I couldn't believe what Greg was delivering. But no, that kind of, it's part of why I'm, I have so much trepidation about doing real time again. It, it sucks up an incredible amount of time, not just from the programming team, but from mar- marketing is not designed to respond and cut promos that quickly. Press is not designed to work on those timelines. Digital, all of the other departments are are built and trained to work with much more traditional timelines. So there's, there's systemic challenges to it. Sure. Um, yeah. And look, I don't know that I would have, you know, I don't know that I've thought about it, but if we hadn't had that specific programming hole in April, it's very possible I would have fallen back on, you know, the easy, the easy answer for a show like this, which is just, God, that's scary. Let's just, you know, let someone else go on that fool's errand. Um, but I also think there's something, having worked at a couple places, there is also something great about A&E and the culture here, which is they are big believers in the passion of their executives. And if their executives love something, even if they don't totally, you know, I think when I first pitched it to Rob, I think Rob Rob definitely had a fairly lukewarm response, which is completely understandable. Right. But Rob, to his everlasting credit, was very clear. If you love this and you believe in the team and you think there's an interesting show to make, go do it. And I do think that is a in my in my experience, a somewhat unique attitude, which I think helps get closer to what Greg is talking about, which is executives who are willing to take risks and try and push the boundaries, which I think is more important than ever in the environment, you know, we exist in today. And, you know, it gets you shows like this and 60 Days In and Live PD and Born This Way. And, you know, I'm sure all the great stuff that's going to come from you at History from, from that attitude, it doesn't come out of fear. You know, and not trusting the people on the team. So, exactly. yeah. So, well, I mean, this has been fantastic. And thank you, you guys. You don't want much. to talk about our Tory Spelling celebrity lie detector special. <laughs> and a, a, that is an underappreciated gem, which you should go back, Noah, and watch that. And then I'll wait for the call to do this yeah. again to just talk about that one. So, there it is the full story of True Tory. Thanks to Greg Mercer for creating our show art and to Chris Carmichael for composing our music and for all things technical. You can find their respective work at gregorymercer.com and christophercarmichael.com. 
Thanks as well to our guests, Eli Lair and Greg Goldman, and to my wonderful family for all of their help and support. Also, please do subscribe to Exec Producer wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. So thank you again for listening and please come back next time. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Choose kind.